brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Softrep.com, on time, on target. Before we get into the interview portion of this episode, I figured I would play some rantings from a favorite of the show, none other than Gene Farnsworth. Haven't heard from him in a while, so let's get right into that. Greetings, my Softrep shipmates. Gene Farnsworth here, USM retired. Had a chance to go back and listen to an older episode, 303, from the... The uh, frozen tundra of Topeka, Kansas, working on a job site. I got to tell you, I think this is one of the better episodes I've heard for a while because I really enjoyed listening to uh, Terry Schaefert and Jack discussing transitioning from the military out. I, I just wish the fuck every guy getting ready to get out could hear that conversation because they nailed it. You know, I've told you a little bit about me. I uh, retired in 93. You know, as an ex-E1, uh, the senior chief machinist mate, chief of the boat on subs. You're kind of cock of the fucking walk there. Went LDO. I was a Mustang officer, chief engineer on a ship. Nobody really fucks with the Mustang guys much. A lot's expected from below. A lot is expected from above. So you got a lot to live up for. Boom, next day I'm getting retiring out of the Navy, getting married, and going to have kids. Fuck, what was I thinking? Started looking for a job about three months before I get out, sent out like, you know, 200 resumes and no real plan, no idea what I was doing. Didn't go to project transition because I just had things had to be taken care of on the ship. And uh, going to a job interview... Now, you know, here I'm thinking, hey, I should be of value to somebody. I've gone from E1 to 04 selectee. I can do a lot of things. I can think on my feet. And this fucking goofy HR broad goes, so do you understand multitasking? Fuck. I taught her how to crash dive a submarine from the surface to test depth and circle back around and shoot the motherfucker that caused you to do a crash dive. She was like, uh, oh, 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 so when can you start? But, you know, I just, I wasn't really prepared to get out. I wasn't prepared for the civilian world. We didn't have the networking back then we have now. And I just, I fucking love what what Brandon and Jack and, and even I and our fucking Ian, our civilian, have done to help the civilian community and, and help project us that we're not a bunch of whacked out fucking guys shooting shit up and that we do bring a lot of value, and I do know I'm rambling on. I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate that show and how much I appreciate what Soft Rep's done, and uh, 
I didn't pursue my my passion, my dream when I got out of the Navy for a lot of reasons, and there's nobody to blame. Shit just happens. And, you know, soft rep has really pushed me into, like I've said, I'm, I'm working on my kids' books. I've had to rewrite this series like five times, but I don't care. And I'm working on, a, on an action Navy book about a guy does some things I did in a compilation of all the amazing people I met in the Navy. I kept the shitheads out of the book. But Soft really watching the successes they've had and things guys have done has really helped motivate me and push me and get me going. And I just hope, I hope the vets that are listening to what you guys are doing are taking that and running with it. And I, I cannot even express my gratitude enough. I may never make a dime doing any of this writing stuff, but it's what I've wanted to do. I wanted to get in broadcasting. I didn't do that. Anyhow, just shit happens. But anyhow, I'm rambling. May you continue to have fair winds and fallen seas, and may the good Lord bless the ground that you guys walk on. Because I can tell you, I sure admire the ground that you walk on. All right, then. Yeah, it's Gene with the uh, music outro. Always good hearing from Gene Farnsworth. Um, and I should point out there, it's not like Gene is the only one allowed to send voice memos. He just sends a lot of them. And, uh, yeah, feel free to send over your own um, and any emails, any questions that you have, as usual, softrep.radio at softrep.com. We love hearing from you. I, I do not get back to everybody. I should stress that. And even the stuff that I read on the show, I mean, we just get a ton of emails. So uh, a few hours before we set to uh, tape or or go live if we're on Facebook, I check those emails and see what I think could be interesting for the show, what the guys could answer. Uh, so I just, main point is I, I don't get back to everybody, but I do read them all. So keep them coming. Softrep.radio at softrep.com. I get a lot of tweets and uh, even Instagram messages at softrepradio with these type of questions. Please send them that way, though. Please email them. And with that, let's get over to Steve. So joining us for the first time on Softrep Radio, Steve Balistieri. Uh, Steve has been with the site for quite some time, actually, or I should say with the company because he's at specialoperations.com. Actually, how many years, Steve? No, it's just uh, I'm just coming up uh, on my one-year anniversary. Yeah, but I feel like uh, you've just been a major part because of the fact that you're doing all the work over at SpecialOperations.com. It's kind of a one-man operation at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, we, we always joke during the editor's meeting because uh, the Odyssean, as we all know him, our, our erstwhile leader there, and uh, he's always joking, Steve, make sure your staff is all on board with this. <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that is true. We have, uh, for the audience, we have these editors meetings every Tuesday where I get to talk with all these guys. And Steve is actually the one guy I didn't get to see at SHOT Show. Everybody else was was there. You were like the lone guy missing. Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, I had planned on going. I had already purchased my ticket. And then uh, my wife had surgery and it kind of... Uh, you know, her, her, uh, recovery kind of set us back a little bit. And, and, uh, so I wasn't able to go and I was really bummed because I was looking forward to uh, meeting a lot of the guys in person for the first time. I mean, although I've been working with the company for a year, you know, guys, uh, like I followed Jack on, uh, on, on social media for a couple of years. I read everything he's done, but Jack and I have actually never met face to face. Yeah, there's there's a few guys at the company like that. Um, 
I got to meet a few guys for the first time, like Alex Hollings and Kurt. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the guy who kind of knows everybody, though. I feel like there's very few guys at the site <laughs> I haven't met at this point. You know, yep. And uh, you know, and, and you being one of them, I haven't really met you. Now we talk every Tuesday. Yep. You know, on the uh, on the on the call, the editor's call, but we haven't met yet either. And I feel like I know you because I listen to the show all the time. You have some great guests on, and I'm flattered that you asked me to be on today. So, oh, absolutely, man. I it's I feel the same way as you do, though. I was even saying on the last episode at the team room party, the guys that I did meet for the first time, like BK and Frumentarius, I felt like I knew them because I've talked to them so much already. It wasn't, um, yeah. it wasn't like meeting a new person. Uh, so, to give you guys some background on Steve, Steve, as I said, writes for SpecialOperations.com. We occasionally repost his stuff on SoftRep.com. Uh, former Special Forces NCO and Warrant Officer. And, I mean, now it would be really timely to also bring up that you cover the NFL for PatsFans.com. So you must be pretty thrilled at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it makes life interesting when you, the team that you happen to write for and cover is going to the Super Bowl again. You know, we've been pretty blessed here. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's so different because, you know, the guys you talk to and correspond with on the military side of the house, like we do at specialops.com. And then, you know, we talk about something and then I'll get a message and somebody wants to talk NFL. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, uh, it's a whole different set of parameters that we work with. But yeah, the covering the NFL is, is really, it's totally different, and uh, I, I enjoy it because I love the game of football. And and for the audience, I don't think they'd be shocked that you're a Pats fan because of the accent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, growing up here in New England, uh, you know, I'm a little bit older than most of the fans up here, so I remember the really lean years with the New England Patriots when back when they were the Boston Patriots. And I tell people, I remember the first game I ever attended the Patriots at that time didn't even have a home. They were playing in Fenway park where the Red Sox play. Wow. And they were just totally awful. back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you go way back. That's almost like older Yankees fans here. Yeah. I, I, I went to my first game. I was a kid in 1967 so, uh, yeah, I'm really dating myself there. Yeah, I'm just thinking, as you're saying, like before this whole dynasty, I mean, the Yankees had it before, but as we all know, like during the 80s, earlier 90s, it wasn't the team that it is today. So, yeah, I, I could only imagine no. that. And, and actually, for the Patriots, they're even more dominant in their sport. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, I mean, we, we remember the lean years and uh, the, um, you know, the Patriots have... Uh, They've been they've been pretty fortunate. They've been blessed with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, and you know, and, and like I said, th- those of us who are a little bit older, you know, we really appreciate this time because you know I, I remember when the Patriots never had a good quarterback or a good head coach, and you know it was uh, it was tough. And now you know we're really appreciating this time and. You know, it's it's fun. It's fun to uh, I I get a media credential for the training camp in preseason, and I'm down there, and you get to talk to the players, and most of them are still pretty much in awe that this keeps happening to them because of the fact that I mean, this level of success they had in the past 16, 17 years is really unprecedented. 
And and I should point out there that you've even covered for specialoperations.com, you know, the kneeling protest and all that stuff from a veteran's perspective, because we're hearing all about it on the news, of course. It's the big hot topic. But to hear from you, who's someone who's former special ops and is a fan, and, and to give your perspective as a guy who's who's met these players is pretty cool. Yeah, you know, and that was the thing that struck me is when when it first came out, I was like 99% of the other veterans, I was really offended by it. But then, you know, when you talk to the players, you see where they're coming from. It wasn't, I think it, it, there was a big drop in, mis, you know, communication there and the, the wrong message got out because a lot of the guys, uh, well, the Patriots actually have a naval officer on their roster. I mean, he's yeah. in the Naval Reserve now. Joe Cardona, and he's a graduate of the Naval Academy, and you know he uh, he uh, he was on active duty, and now they put him in the reserves because he's a pro football player. But you know, a guy like him, and then this, several of the other players have family members who are either in the military, or career military, and you know they they have a lot of respect for what the the military does, and I I really think that. You know, after talking, at least with the guys here, that a lot of that was lost in the the way the message came out was really unfortunate because uh, they meant no disrespect to the flag or the military. They were trying to make a social statement. And I think, you know, I wrote in that piece that you, you referenced, I think they could have done a better job of it and brought attention to what they were trying to do in a different way. But, you know, it's all water under the bridge now. Yeah, and you, I mean, it happens to all of us, but you got some blowback for that piece, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. I, I, I got a lot of really hateful emails from some of my uh, uh, brothers in arms and veterans who uh, did not take kindly to, uh, to my take on that. And, and that's, hey, we, this is what we serve the country for, so everyone has their own say. And I, and I understand what the how the, uh, you know, the, the fellow veterans feel about it. I, I totally get that, you know, and, uh, I, th- that wasn't my take on it and that's not how I felt, but I understand where they're coming from and there's still a lot of hurt feelings on that. Yeah. And also you're probably just not doing your job as a writer if people aren't getting pissed off at, at your perspective. <laughs> yeah. And that is also like what we sign up for as, as media personalities, as writers, um, you know, I, I was even at SHOT Show this past weekend, as you know, and speaking to Jack, he said something about like, y- you know, you're either going to be an Internet writer who investigates things, who writes for the website, investigative journalist, I should say, which is a lot more formal than an Internet writer, or you're going to be someone who's like in high standing with everybody in the special operations community. And he was saying you really you can't be both. And, and I think there's definitely a lot of truth to, to that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and Jack of all people, um, knows that better than anyone because, um, you know, Jack's a fantastic writer and he's written some outstanding, you know, books and, and articles and he's not afraid to delve in as we've seen recently, he's not afraid of delving into, uh, some sensitive material that uh, yep. rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And, uh, as a, as a journalist, you have to be able to do that. And it's tough because, you know, a lot of the guys that you're really friends with take exception to that. And and they feel like you're airing dirty laundry that shouldn't be out there, but that's what your job is. 
Yeah, agree 100%. And, and since we're, we were on the topic of football, and I'm going to get into what we actually want to get into, uh, but I don't even yeah. know if you saw this yet. I was just browsing Twitter and everything before you know prepping the show that apparently the XFL is coming back. I did hear that. There, there was that rumor that it's coming back, and I've been hearing that for a while, and I think that would be great. I, I really do. I think, uh, you know, the, this country loves the game, and I don't think they can get enough of it is, if it's packaged well and it doesn't, you know, try to, I think, uh, compete with the NFL in their time frame. I think there will be a market for it here. Yeah, there's apparently an announcement that's going to be made. So by the time this goes up, it probably will be made. And I, I mean, my immediate reaction was I think it will do really well. We were talking about the protests and everything. And even beyond that, there's a huge base of people, I think, who love football and feels that they feel it's just become too politicized. Not just the the idea of um, the kneeling protests, but also guys not being able to wear commemorative um Patches, right? What was it for the World Trade Center, I believe? Right, and then the Dallas Cowboys wanted a sticker on their helmet because there was uh, some Dallas police officers, police officers, excuse me, that were hurt in the line of duty, and they wanted to wear a sticker. And, and then the uh, the league said no. And you know, uh, if you're going to allow certain things, I don't see a problem with it. If it's you know, if, especially if a whole team is getting behind it. You know, uh, granted, you don't want their whole uniform taken up with stickers or patches, yeah. but, uh, you know, uh, that that one with the Cowboys struck, a, a, again, a lot of people the wrong way, and uh, it rubbed them really bad about, you know, how the league decided, no, that wasn't uh, a, a situation they could get behind. Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't really follow this the way that you do, but... Even when I'm so I don't normally turn on ESPN, but when I'm at my gym, it'll be on and I'll catch what's going on. And more times than not, they're politicizing something going on. It's become that it's not just covering sports news. And I do get that perspective from the more conservative fan, mainly who's like, I've had enough of this. And I think the XFL is really going to appeal to those people because I bet you they are going to make sure guys stand for the national anthem and that they they are aren't politicizing everything. And I think that the NFL has really turned off a huge part of their base, mainly the conservative base. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and you know, it's become that way, not just with the NFL, but with the media that covers them as well. They try to make everything into a political statement. I mean, um, you know, right here in new England last spring during the, uh, you know, the, the teams before the, season starts they have what they call the mini camps in may and june and then you know training camp comes in july well back in may you know tom brady and bill belichick happened to be friends with a man that was running for president on donald trump and trump gave brady a hat you know it had something trump 2016 or something or other and he had it in his locker and that turned into i i swear it turned into a three week or more like story that kept feeding on itself that the, that the Patriots were, were actually the, the way some people took it is that the Patriots were endorsing Donald Trump as president. And uh, it had nothing to do with it. And even Brady had to come out many times and say, we're friends. It doesn't mean I, en- I endorse everything he does or says, 
but we're friends. He's, you know, he's visited me a couple of times on the field. You know, we, we've been to certain functions and I think certain things just get taken way too far. And I thought that was a prime example of that. Yeah, I would agree. And I think with Linda McMahon being in the white house and then Vince McMahon starting yeah. the XFL, like there's definitely something there. And I do think that they're t- taking advantage of, of a climate of people pissed off about what we were just talking about. Um, and that's, that's what you do in America. If you see a base that isn't being catered to, you're going to step in there and fill, fill that void. Absolutely. You know, when it comes to that, I just think there's, you know, some of the major media markets, they're just bringing too much, you know, politics into sports. The, the whole reason we love sports is that it's a break from, you know, our daily life. As when, you know, being in the military, we all used to look forward to the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I remember being overseas down in Central America and the Super Bowl was coming on and, you know, we got a satellite that we kind of borrowed from our host nation allies and we played with it until we picked up the Super Bowl and everyone was watching it. The last thing we want to hear is a bunch of politics. We want to watch the game and forget about what we're doing for a little while and, and enjoy our life. And the same with the guys. I'm sure the guys that are over in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria right now, and a million other places, that's the last thing they want to hear during the Super Bowl. They just want to watch the game and enjoy it. I would agree. You can't escape politics now. And, and then I even saw that during the government shutdown, uh, guys overseas for that short period of time weren't able to watch the NFL. Right. And then they had to go to the USO to watch the football game. And that's just, you know, that's being, well, that wasn't, you know, the military's fault there. It just was kind of thrust on them. Yeah. But, you know, who, who got affected by it? The guys who were over there putting their lives on the line. Yeah, which happens way too often. They, they're not the ones who should be affected by incompetence in, in Washington. Um, so getting into you know what, what I was saying with your background and everything, for those who don't know, Hurricane Group has several websites. I mean, if you go to hurricane.media, there's more than we usually cover here, as I said last episode, the loadout room. One of those, though, is specialoperations.com. Uh, but I want to get into actually the background of specialoperations.com first because it, the the imaging behind it has changed a few times. I know that we were doing inside the team rooms for specialoperations.com at one point. Now that's moving over to SoftRep TV's end of things. So for those who don't know and haven't really visited the site, how would you describe specialoperations.com and how does it differ from what we do over here at SoftRep? Well, most of SoftRep deals with you know stuff that's breaking and it's stuff that's going on in the world right now. And you know we have so many people that are doing such great work you know, keeping up with the, the current events. I, I'm not so much into that. And uh, I, I have to, uh, you know, <laughs> thank once again, Jack, because Jack lets me write a lot about history. I, I, I'm a military history buff, and I, I write a lot of what's going on, you know, back beyond, you know, things that affect what we're doing today. I write a lot about OSS guys and, you know, World War II, because those were the forerunners of our own special forces guys. In military history in general, today I just happened to write something about Rourke's Drift, which happened, uh, in, you know, in this date, uh, 1879 in South Africa. And I got to visit there when I was uh, a few years back. Wow. I was in South Africa. And it's just, it's such an amazing 
you know, journey. And you, you watch these guys. I met some of the Zulu people and, and spoke with them. And they all talk about the Battle of Rourke's Drift like it was yesterday. You know, and then, uh, because the stories have been sent down through the generations, and it's really awesome. But yeah, I read a lot of history uh, because I had background as a uh, cadre member at the SFAS, the Selection Force for Special Forces. I write a lot about that and what the candidates will be looking at doing and what they should do to prepare themselves. I write a, a daily workout uh, program for the guys who are aspiring, you know, special forces soldiers. And I think if they follow that, they should have an easier time than I did when I was a young man. And th- those type of things weren't available to us. Yeah, absolutely. Which era were you in uh, SF? I was, I, I joined the army in 1980 and I was one of the, S- we call them SF babies. Now they have S- uh, the 18 X program, but yeah, you know, we were called SF babies and, you know, back then we didn't have a prep course or, you know, anything. It was just basically sink or swim. And luckily I, uh, I served with some fantastic NCOs who had come from special operations units or ranger battalions and stuff like that. And those guys got all of us, you know, through what we needed to do. And then I, I went up to 1998 when I uh, was forced out due to injuries. And uh, that was my era. But, um, you know, it was, I, I was so fortunate. I, I served most of my career in the Seven Special Forces Group. And, you know, back then, that was kind of a golden age for SF and, and Seventh Group in general because, um, you know, there was so much going on. And it doesn't even compare to what the guys are doing today. Sure. They're doing fantastic work. But back then, that was like Central and South America was kind of the hot spot. You know, there was, you know, the war in El Salvador. There was, you know, banana wars going on all over the place in Central America, plus all the drug stuff down in Colombia and Bolivia, Peru. I mean, so it was a really interesting time. I, I was so fortunate, like I said. I mean, I grew up down there, and that was, you know, in, in seventh group. And then uh, I got to become a warrant down there, and, and uh, I loved every minute of it. I wouldn't have traded a second of it. That's awesome. So when did you uh, retire? 1998. Wow. That's an awesome career. Uh, so getting yeah. into uh, what, what you're doing right now at specialoperations.com, as we were saying, we do this call every Tuesday where I get to hear what Steve is up to and what the other guys at the sites are up to. You're going to be doing some video interviews with some veterans from the older eras, whether it's World War II, Korean War, or uh, even some Vietnam-era guys. Uh, and I'm sure people yeah. want to hear all about that. I'm excited to see the footage. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, and it ties into my, my love for military history. Is, and, you know, one of the sad things is, you know, we talk about our World War II veterans, and, you know, we call them our greatest generation, and I, I firmly believe that. Um you know, so many of these guys don't get to tell their story because they grew up in a different era. You know, when they came home, they didn't want to talk about what they saw over in Europe or in the Pacific. And, you know, they, they went about rebuilding their lives and, you know, they, uh, they went about their whole lives and grew families and grandkids and, you know, and then so, so sadly, a lot of these guys are disappearing every day. And um, 
So what we're doing is uh, not only with specialoperations.com, uh, I'm, I'm partnering with our, we have a local cable television station here in my hometown, and uh, we're interviewing these veterans. And, you know, I, I spoke with the World War II veteran. Uh, he was a backseater and a dive bomber. And, um, you know, he fought on Iwo Jima, Okinawa. He, he was there for the surrender of Japan. He actually flew over one of the uh, atom bomb sites after they had dropped it. And, uh, you know, you talk to a guy like that and then the guy with the Battle of the Bulge, you know, who fought the Germans in the snow. I mean, these stories are just amazing. And we're putting these all on videotape. So once, um, you know, we get enough of them, we're going to start airing these. And uh, I'm even talking with some Vietnam vets who, you know, fought in Vietnam. And sadly, we're losing so many of those men as well. And their stories are all fascinating because they come from all different walks of life. They all have different experiences. And I think these are stories that need to be told. They need to be, you know, kept for posterity. And uh, I think this is something that would interest so many of our listeners and, and readers because I think that, you know, it's important. I agree completely. What's what's the main objective and, and the main thing that you want people to get out of this when they see these videos? I think the main thing is that, you know, um, th these men all have a story to be told. And I think we all need to listen to it because, you know, what they went through, and especially these World War II vets, you know, what they went through is that uh, a lot of them had no idea of what they were really getting into. And, you know, their country was going to war. They answered the call. And then this uh, experience affected them for the rest of their lives. And, you know, for many of them, it was only a, a very, very short amount of time. You're talking maybe two years of their life, which in a 90-year-old man's life, which is very minuscule. But everything after that two years has been shaped by their experience. And I think that's so important for all of us. Because it's not going to be them the next time. It's going to be, you know, our kids, our grandkids that are going to face this. And, you know, it's, it's, it's important in the fact that if we don't learn from our history, and then we're doomed to repeat a lot of it, unfortunately. Absolutely. Uh, we've had some, some great older, older era uh, vets as guests on the show before. Um, you know, the ones that come to mind for me were Pearl Harbor survivor, Jim, Jim Downing, uh, Ernie Andrus we had on way back, who's still out there running, uh, or at least was the last time we spoke to him. And uh, we had Captain Jerry Yellen on the Power of Thought podcast, which I should say, if you guys haven't checked out that episode or that podcast, it definitely look that up because um, Jerry Yellen was awesome on Brandon's Power of Thought podcast, if you haven't heard that. Are there any stories in particular that you've heard so far that just stand out to you? Well, uh, again, the, the World War II dive bomber veteran, because, uh, you know, he was a guy that grew up on a farm. Uh, he never, uh, when he was growing up, had any uh, uh, aspirations of being anything but a farmer like his father. And then... Um, you know, he was going to take over the family business, basically. And then after World War II, he had an inkling for community service, and he spent the rest of his life serving in different aspects. He was like a local town selectman. He was a local school board member. He was, you know, he, he served basically for the rest of his life 
uh, you know, because his World War II service kind of lit a fire under him to, to uh, serve the rest of his life as a community service guy. And I, I think that's uh, something that was fascinating. And, you know, I'm um, getting ready to talk with another guy who was Battle of the Bulge veteran. And that's something that's near and dear to my heart because uh, my own father never told his story. Mm. And uh, I've, I've told Jack this, uh, you know, I found out, you know, my own father, we never knew anything. Even when I was in the military, my dad wouldn't talk about his World War II service. And then come to find out after he passed away, all these former vets came to his wake and they're telling us stories that we never heard about my father. He was actually in a book. And I ended up buying this book. I read what was in there. And it was fascinating to read about your own father in a book that's something that you'd never heard. And then uh, I contacted, it was the uh, 28th Division from Pennsylvania, which is the National Guard Division, uh, their division association. And I uh, got to talk with some of the guys who were actually in the book, in this, uh, you know, the this basic scene where my dad was involved and I learned about what happened there. And it was fascinating to talk to somebody who was there and I'm reading the pages off to this guy and he's laughing. He's like, I remember it like it was yesterday. Hmm. And I, I wish I could have had these same conversations with my father. And um, that's what drives me to do this stuff now. That's awesome. I, I could only imagine. I mean, we, you talked about earlier, like the changes in, in culture a little bit, but what do you think are the biggest reasons that guys of, of this era are actually very eager to get out there and get their story out? Not, not everybody, but there's plenty of guys writing books, as we all know. And the guys from this older era, you know, to not even speak to your son about this is pretty amazing. Yeah, I think, you know, there's been a change in culture because, you know, a lot of us who grew up, you know, uh, with fathers like this, you know, um, or grandfathers and some of the cases for the guys who are serving now, you know, they, they've come to realize that, you know, these guys had a story to tell and it never really got out there. And I think now that they're all coming out because they're like, Hey, you know, um, you know, we all kind of, you know, talk down about our own experiences, but, you know, we come to realize that, Hey, this might be of interest to someone else. And it might be of interest to my son someday, you know? Yeah. So that's why we all do this. And uh, I think, you know, that's been the change. And, and I, you know, I know a lot of veterans don't like when guys write books about what's going on. I, for one, I, I welcome every one of them because I think everyone has their own perspective on things. And, you know, I know you had Rob O'Neill on. And uh, I found not only his book, but it's interviews that you've done with him was absolutely fascinating. Thanks. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, he receives like the most criticism of all the people because it is true that if, if he did what he did decades ago, it would be unheard of to go out there, take credit for it and write a book. Yeah. But I mean, how many guys can say that they actually, you know, took out the number one terrorist in the world that, you know, so I think, you know, taken into consideration. And I know a lot of people disagree with that, but that's a story that needs to be told. And I think the American public needs to know what went down with that. And, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, feel anything uh, bad about what he did or, uh, how he went about it. And I think he should have wrote a book. I think that's exactly 
what what people need to read and see because it's you know it's part of our history it's what's driving us right now and you know um, I, I like I said I was listening I was one of the listeners <laughs> that day when you had him in the studio and I I thought it was a fascinating interview and and again I mean you know Navy SEALs and Green Berets were all the same but we all walk on water but uh, <laughs> at the same time he was kind of self you know. He was talking down a little bit about what he did, and I'll be the first to tell you, if I did what he did, I'd be writing a book myself. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's how most guys feel. I mean, even those that are critical, you do have to wonder. I mean, it is a great opportunity to get out there and, and get your story told, and and he's a really good guy, too, and I should throw in, uh, throw in a shameless plug. He'll be back in March on the Power of Thought podcast, so look out for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome because I again I you know I thought he was a great interview and uh, you know because he has a lot to tell and uh, that kind of experience not many people have. Yeah, absolutely. So as for um, the videos that you're doing, are these going to be rolled out over a period of time or are they all coming out at once? When, when should we expect to see these? I'm not sure. We're we're going to forward everything and uh, we're going to put them all together. I I believe the plan is to release them all at once in a compilation, but um, I'm not sure right now. That's uh, that's still subject to uh, interpretation, I guess. But uh, yeah, we're we're going to get them out as quick as we can. We're we're taping the interviews as quick as we can. In fact, I have a veterans council meeting with our local veterans tonight. And I'm going to talk to a couple of more of the guys, uh, World War II and a Korean War veteran, to see if we can uh, get them in the, the television studio and put some more on tape. That's going to be killer when it comes out. I mean, were there any guys that you either had to massage a bit until you got them to say, all right, I'll appear on film, or, or any guys who just flat out said, no, I'm not going to talk about it? Yeah, some guys were more than willing to be interviewed. But when they heard it was going to be filmed, they balked because they were like, no, I don't mind talking about it, but I don't want to be on film. And uh, when we asked why, they were like, because I'm, I'd be embarrassed for somebody to see me and think, oh, this guy thinks he's like a hero or something. It's like, no, it's not like that at all. You know, but um, yeah, that, that's been the sticking point is the video portion of it. Do you think your veteran status helps these guys to open up in some cases? Oh, absolutely. Because they know, even though we, you know, grew up in different time, you know, frames and eras and we served doing different, much different things, you know, I think that's the one, the, the one aspect of this whole thing that ties everyone together and it puts them more at ease because they know that, hey, you know, at the same time, we've all killed the same dirt, so to speak, or, you know, they suffered the same hardships. Yeah, one of the big changes in culture, I think, and we've talked about it before in the show, and I know you guys have written about it, guys today who are transitioning back into the civilian world who are going through problems are very much encouraged to see a therapist, uh, talk about these problems, um, in some cases just seek different um, treatment and, and activities you could do. Brandon actually recently wrote an article about how doing yoga and meditation has helped him a lot. And I think guys from that Vietnam era and previous eras were were told not to really say anything. And they just kept these feelings and these stories in cases like your dad completely bottled up inside. 
Yeah, and you know that's that's a huge problem right now, and, and you know it's a it's a problem where a lot of these veterans who are you know they're suffering from bouts of depression. Some of them have substance abuse issues. Here in Massachusetts, where I live, up in the Northeast, the uh, the local, I guess the sheriff's department that runs the uh, incarceration of these guys, they're trying something new with the veterans. And they're, they're calling them Humvee cells, where these veterans, if they're not in a, you know, um, the most serious kind of a lockdown, if they're in like a medium security or a low security type of prison, they're putting these guys in um, what they call Humvee cells and uh, where it's not so much like a jail, but a military barracks and they're, they're putting military stuff on the walls and they're trying to appeal to the, the time of their lives when, you know, they felt like they had uh, their lives more in control and it seems to be working. These guys, their, you know, rate of recidivism, I guess you could say, is really, really low. And uh, they're, they're finding these guys, when you appeal to that side of them and they're having veterans come in and speak with them, that it, it seems to be working. And in fact, uh, myself and another guy from my hometown have been invited to go speak with some of those guys to let them know that, hey, there is light at the end of the tunnel and there is life after the military and we can all work together and pull ourselves through this. That's definitely an important thing. The New England area has been hit hard by this opioid epidemic, and a lot of that is veterans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, our whole area up here, this whole opioid thing, I mean, it's, it's gotten, it's an epidemic right now. And there are a lot of veterans involved in this, and it's something that, you know, it's a scary thing. I mean, um, we all know somebody uh, who's been involved with it. And it's no longer, you know, people think, oh, it's a inner city, you know, low income thing. Um, no, it isn't. It's a problem that goes across all of social strata. And it, every, you know, conceivable family group, it's affecting. It's not just, you know, what people would consider that, you know, the old uh, wives tale of it being, you know, inner city, you know, low income thing. No, it isn't. And uh, the opioid epidemic is probably the worst up here in New England than it is anywhere else in the country. And, and with veterans, for example, sometimes they are prescribed something by the VA and it, it gets them into a rabbit hole of, of taking all different types of prescription drugs. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, a lot of the guys, the, the, the one complaint you hear all the time is the VA really doesn't want to treat them. They'll just throw more meds at them. You know, and uh, that's not the answer. And, you know, for somebody like myself, I, you know, my problems were minuscule compared to other guys. But at the same time, when I was first injured in the line of duty, I injured my back. They were doing the same thing with me. You know, they just kept giving you more and more. And finally, I had to throw it all away. And uh, I, I got on an exercise program because when I first got out and my wife can vouch for me there, I could barely walk. You know, and and if I had stayed doing what they asked me to do, I'd probably be in a wheelchair myself right now. But uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm the most spry guy you'll ever see. But uh, I still get out and exercise. I still carry a rucksack. Wow, that's awesome. 
And I think it is important. I've, I've heard Jack say that on the show, that one of the important things when guys get out is they got to keep that warrior mentality. Absolutely. And, you know, that's the, the one thing that I think that veterans, how we band together. Because, you know, you've, a lot of times when guys get out, they feel like they're, they're alone. And that, that's where the depression sets in. But you're not, and especially in this era with social media, we're all together now. And, uh, you know, guys can reach out to one another and, and we can, you know, link up or talk on the phone. I mean, I, I spoke uh, just last week. My old team leader from Special Forces is, uh, was a quadriplegic back in 1988. He got hurt. And he was remarking to me that he's, he's really sad because so many of these kids who get hurt and end up in a chair now from Iraq and Afghanistan, they die in like three or four years. He sees so many of them. And uh, he works with disabled vets now. And, you know, he said, I've been in a chair going on 30 years. And, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, he has the will to keep going on because he's involved with the veteran community. And he, he thinks a lot of these guys shut themselves off. And um, he's an amazing man. Even though he's in a chair, he went skydiving last year. Um, he went wow. skiing in Vail, Colorado. And I, I, when I talked to him just a couple of weeks ago, he said uh, – he wanted to go skydiving again. His doctor was so against it. He was like, if you break your hip, you won't recover. And he's like, I got to go do it at least one more time. That's crazy. I mean, I'm completely able-bodied and you will not see me going skydiving anytime (laughs) soon. Not happening. I wanted to go. My, my wife doesn't want me to. So uh, she thinks I'm getting a little too long in the tooth for that now. So, I, I tried to get my son to go skydiving on his 18th birthday, but uh, that got shot down. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what I was just thinking is when you were saying about these veterans and, and reaching out and all that, there's been so many guys on the podcast who have said before, like before any veteran or, or someone they've served with does something stupid, that they'll always take a phone call from them. And I even remember we had on uh, Carl Monger, the executive director of uh, – gallant few which is a great organization that does stuff for veterans i think army rangers in particular um but he gives out his phone number and and he's there for any guys going through tough times so there's there are plenty of resources out there i think the biggest problem is that mentality that there there is no one out there before guys really look into it yeah and that's the problem that you know that as veterans we need to stop and you know because we're all there for each other and you know, that's the one thing that, you know, I think that we do better now than we used to, but it still can get a lot better. And that's being there for each other and letting, the, you know, your, your brothers know that if you, you know, if you get into a dark place, all you need to do is reach out and we're all there for one another. I think the special forces community is really good at that, but we still have guys that fall through the cracks and, I think we can still do better. Yeah. And that's excellent that through your work, you're doing something that has that veteran to veteran connection of guys who haven't been out there and are probably telling their story for the first time to you. And it'll be told to an audience of people who, um, you know, are, are young or possibly joining the military now. And in the long term, these videos are on the internet forever. So long after these guys are gone because of you, they'll be able to have their stories out there. And I think that's, that's just remarkable. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's what we're hoping to do. And I, I hope when people see the interviews, uh, they can get something out of them. I know I do when I talk to these guys, because like I said, I, I love history and military history. And, you know, uh, you know, our, we all grew up in different eras, but, you know, we all share the same thing and that's our, our sense of commitment and duty. And, you know, I think some of these guys, the stories they have to tell are just amazing. And hopefully uh, when our readers and you know listeners get to see this, that they'll enjoy them as well. Right on, man. So check out Steve's work, which is at uh, specialoperations.com. Just look up Steve Ballas, Jerry. Uh, you're, you're writing most of the stuff that you see on there, just about everything. And you can follow Steve on Twitter at Steve B7SFG at Steve B7SFG. Give him a follow. Uh, anything else before you get out of here? Because we, uh, I mean, it's great having you on. And I, I know the audience is going to look really forward to seeing these videos. It's long overdue having you on the show. No, it's just, um, you know, I, I've really enjoyed my time here. Like I said, I've been here about a year now. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I encourage everyone to read what's going on in software. We have so many talented guys that, uh, like I said, I feel like I'm on the 27 Yankees. Um, <laughs> you know, when you, you see the writers here, John Meyer, Jack, you know, uh, Grumentarius, all those guys. I mean, I, uh, George, I, I love what, uh, George puts out all the time. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it's some great stuff. I encourage everyone to, to read everything that's going on there. And, uh, I think we, we touch upon everything that's going on in the world and, you know, my little portion of it is I love the history part. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I know a lot of the guys who read the site do, who read our site, SoftRep.com, but also they need to check out SpecialOperations.com because I don't, I, I am guilty of not talking often enough about that site along with all the other sites at Hurricane Media. So uh, if you want to see all that stuff, I mean, we do have a website, which is Hurricane.media, which shows you everything that the company is up to. Um, and hurricane media is also on Instagram, Twitter and everything else. Um, thanks man. Thanks for finally doing this with me. It's long overdue. And I know that you kind of stepped in the last minute here. So I I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Like I said, I, um, uh, I was flattered that you asked uh, me to be on the show with you today. And, uh, like I said, with all the guys that you have on, it's feel like we're on the 27 Yanks. (laughs) I really enjoyed that. I look forward to seeing those videos that Steve puts out. And also there's going to be continued coverage from shot show from these guys that are still there um, as things are wrapping up. So check out softrep.com as you're listening to this and loadoutroom.com for all the continued coverage of shot show. There's a whole lot of stuff up already, and there's going to be a lot more. Uh, As a reminder for all of those who are listening for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to SoftRep TV. That's our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. SoftRep TV's premier show training cell follows former special operations forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to SoftRep TV at softreptv.us. 
I should throw out there as well that there is a new inside the team room coming up uh, that they just shot. It's a sniper inside the team room. Uh, it's got Nick Betts, Isaiah Burkhart, Jason Delgado, and Nick Irving. So that should be a really cool one. That'll be up there shortly. Uh, and you can take advantage of our limited time offer once again of 50% off your membership. That's only $4.99 a month. SoftreptV.us. And if you haven't gotten a chance to check out the SoftRep Crate Club, you are definitely going to want to do that ASAP. It's a subscription to get a box of badass tactical and survival gear delivered to your door every month. Here's the kicker. All of the gear is handpicked and tested by former special ops guys, so you know you're getting quality gear that's going to work when you need it to. Crates that we've sent in the past have included gear like custom knives, multi-tools, fire starters, EDC med kits, and other kick-ass stuff. You don't just get great gear with your subscription. You're also supporting a veteran-owned and run company. And uh, at the annual Crate Club party, the members, uh, team members and premium Crate Club members party, there were some people who actually weren't even familiar with the with SoftRep.com, the website, or the podcast and they were just Crate Club subscribers that really love what they're getting. So, um, you know, the reviews have been great. It just keeps getting better. So to subscribe and start getting your gear, visit CrateClub.us. We also have gift options available. That's CrateClub.us. Next show, we should have Mike Vining coming on. Uh, for those who don't know, former Delta Force. Uh, Jack Murphy was able to set that up. So we're excited. Jack will be back. And as always, we appreciate checking out the podcast. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That is the best way to help us out, other than, of course, supporting, um, well, at the moment, not sponsors, but our websites that we monetize, whether it's SoftRep TV or Crate Club. Now that we've demonetized pretty much everything else, we're giving out all this free content. So please do support us and please write a review on Apple Podcasts. That gets our visibility up. And we want to get back up to that number one slot in the government category. And also, after I do this podcast, I do The Power of Thought. So go over to that channel, The Power of Thought, and listen to Brandon's podcast. With that, we're out. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a Team Room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Softrep Radio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.